we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. We're in 2 Samuel chapter number 14. I, I want to tell you that this passage is, is somewhat difficult. And I want to tell you that looking into it, because it's going to require that you actively engage your mind in paying attention. Because it, it, it could get easy for us to get lost in the weeds here. And, uh, and so I, I want to encourage you, if you're just new to us today, perhaps, uh, we have been studying the life of David. So as we come to the next chapter, the next verse, uh, that's where we're going. And so today we've come to 2 Samuel chapter 14. Uh, just to give you a little bit of backdrop on this before we read the text, uh, David is the king and he committed a dreadful sin, the sin of adultery with a woman named Bathsheba. In an effort to cover that sin, he had her husband killed in battle. And God pronounced judgment. The Nathan the prophet came to David uh, and said to David, thou art the man. If you remember, Nathan told the story of the, the, the rich man who had a visitor come. And in order to feed that visitor, the traveler, as he's noted in that chapter, the rich man, instead of taking of the many flocks that he had, he took the poor man's one lamb. He only possessed one lamb, and he took that one lamb. When David heard that story, he reacted in anger and he said, that man will surely die. And then Nathan looked at David and said, thou art the man. And David was confronted with his sin. And God put David's sin away, but he did tell him that the sword would not depart from his house. And as a result of his sin, the sword entered into his home. As we saw in chapter number 13, the dreadful story of Amnon, who was the eldest son of David. Amnon forced himself and assaulted his half-sister, Tamar. Absalom, who was the brother of Tamar, in an act of revenge, had Amnon killed uh, later, two years later to be exact. And now Amnon is on the run from David. He has, he has left Israel and gone into the land of Geshur where his grandfather on his mother's side was the king. And he's been there for three years when we come to chapter number 14. So let's begin reading here in verse number one. Now Joab, the son of Zeruiah, perceived that the king's heart was toward Absalom. And Joab sent to Tekoa and fetched thence a wise woman and said unto her, I pray thee, feign thyself to be a mourner. In other words, pretend that you are in mourning and put on now mourning apparel and anoint thyself with oil, but be as a woman that had long time mourned for the dead and come to the king and speak on this manner to him. 
So Joab put words in her mouth. And when the woman of Tekoa spake to the king, she fell on her face to the ground and did obeisance and said, Help, O king. And the king said unto her, What aileth thee? What's the problem? And she answered, I am indeed a widow woman, and my husband is dead. And thy handmaid had two sons, and they too strove together in the field, and there was none to part them. But the one smote the other and slew him. And behold, the whole family is risen against thine handmaid. And they said, Deliver him that smote his brother, that we may kill him for the life of his brother whom he slew. And we will destroy the heir also, and so shall they, or so they shall quench my coal which is left, and shall not leave to my husband neither name nor remainder upon the earth. And the king said to the woman, Go to thine house, and I will give charge concerning thee. And the woman of Tekoa said unto the king, My lord, O king, the iniquity be on me and on my father's house, and the king and his throne be guiltless. And the king said, Whosoever saith aught unto thee, bring him to me, and he shall not touch thee any more. Then said she, I pray thee, let the king remember the Lord thy God, that thou wouldest not suffer the revengers of blood to destroy any more, lest they destroy my son. And he said, As the Lord liveth, there shall not one hair of thy son fall to the earth. Then the woman said, Let thine handmaid, I pray thee, speak one word unto my lord the king. And he said, Say on. And the woman said, Wherefore then hast thou thought such a thing against the people of God? For the king doth speak this thing as one which is faulty. In that which the king doth not fetch home again his banished. For, he, for we must needs die, and are as water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Neither doth God respect any person, yet doth he devise means that his banished be not expelled from him. Now, therefore, that I am come to speak of this thing unto my lord the king, it is because the people have made me afraid. And thy handmaid said, I will now speak unto the king. It may be that the king will perform the request of his handmaid for the king will hear to deliver his handmaid out of the hand of the man that would destroy me and my son together out of the inheritance of God then thine handmaid said the word of my lord the king shall now be comfortable as an angel of God so is my lord the king to discern good and bad therefore the lord thy God be with thee then the king answered and said unto the woman hide not from me I pray thee the thing that I shall ask thee and the woman said, Let my lord the king now speak. And the king said, Is not the hand of Joab with thee in all this? In other words, is, is Joab behind all of this? And the woman answered and said, As thy soul liveth, my lord the king, none can turn to the right hand or to the left from aught that may the lord uh, the king has spoken. For thy servant Joab, he bade me, and he put all these words in the mouth of thine handmaid. To fetch about this form of speech hath thy servant Joab done this thing. And my Lord is wise, according to the wisdom of an angel of God, to know all things that are in the earth. And the king said unto Joab, Behold now, I have done this thing. Go therefore, bring ye the young man Absalom again. And Joab fell to the ground on his face, and bowed himself, and thanked the king. And Joab said, Today thy servant knoweth that I have found grace in thy sight, my lord, O king, in that the king hath fulfilled the request of his servant. 
So Joab arose and went to Geshur and brought Absalom to Jerusalem. And the king said, let him return to his own house and let him not see my face. So Absalom returned to his own house and saw not the king's face. Now I want you to go back with me, if you would please, to the the concluding statement in verse number 14. The woman, as she is reasoning with David, she says this, she said, for we must needs die and are as water spilt on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. In other words, what's done is done. When life is over, it is gone. It cannot be gathered up again. She is referring here to Amnon, who has been murdered. And David has been grieving for Amnon for three years. She said, there's nothing that can be done to bring him back. Then we note her words concerning Absalom. She says, neither doth God respect any person, yet doth he devise means that his banished. The one who was banished was Absalom, the one who had murdered Amnon. He said, God devises means that his banished be not expelled from him. So what is her plea? What is her request? It is quite simply this, bring back the banished. Bring back the banished. Now, the events of of this chapter demonstrate for us how that sin divides and destroys families, how how it severs relationships, how how it destroys friendships, and how even this sin of, of unforgiveness and unrepentance, which is evident here in 2 Samuel 14, how it can hinder the fellowship that God's children enjoy with one another. You see, this is the story of an unrepentant son, Absalom. And this is the story of an unforgiving father, David. And we, so, so here we continue to see the effects of sin upon David's family. And we remember the words of Nathan, the sword shall never depart from thine house. And what sword has come in? Well, we saw the sword of vengeance in chapter 13. But in chapter 14, we see the sword of contention. There is contention and division in the family. One brother is dead and the other brother is banished. He cannot return home. His father hasn't spoken into him or spoken to him in three years. Well, the Bible tells us what brings contention. In the book of Proverbs, the Bible says, only by pride cometh contention. What causes someone to be unrepentant of their sin? Well, it's pride. They won't acknowledge their sin. What causes someone who has been forgiven to be unwilling to forgive others? It's pride. You see, pride is the source of contention. Pride kept the father and son separated for many years. Pride caused David to withhold forgiveness, and pride caused Absalom to demand reconciliation without repentance. David had continued to grieve for Amnon. And as the king, that's the position that David held, it was his responsibility to carry out justice. Well, the perpetrator was Absalom, the victim was Amnon. Therefore, it was David's responsibility to bring Absalom to justice, but he refused to do that. If he wouldn't bring him to justice, then Absalom requested that he see him, that he he, he reconcile him. If I've done nothing wrong, 
he's going to say later in this chapter, then restore me. Let's just have a decision. But David was unwilling to restore him. So he's unwilling to act justly with him, and he's unwilling to forgive him and to restore him. The way David chooses to deal with the problem is just to pretend it doesn't exist. By the way, we've all been there, right? Problems in our relationships, problems with our spouses, problems with our kids, problems of, uh, of unforgiveness that, that continue to permeate. Though we pretend it's not there, it's there all along. It creates an unease. It creates a tension. And we just simply hope to avoid it. We refuse to deal with it. But that is not the way that God's children can resolve their sinful issues. And so Joab, the captain, who was a get-it-done man, gets concerned for the state of the kingdom. He recognizes that this rift in the family could cause a lot of trouble, not only for the family, but for the nation. And so Joab goes into action. He's appealing to David, who is a weakened king. Why is he weakened? He's weakened because of his sin. David refused to deal with Amnon and what Amnon did to Tamar because David was guilty of a similar sin. Now David has refused to deal with Absalom because, again, he's impaired. His judgment is impaired. He has no moral high ground to stand upon. And so the way he wants to deal with the problem is just to simply send it away. Absalom is an angry man. He has become judgmental of his father, who, in his opinion, has mishandled the aftermath of Amnon's assault against his sister. And Absalom exacted revenge upon Amnon because somebody had to do it. That was his justification. And so he's been alienated from his father for several years. He's an angry young man. But not only that, we're going to learn he's an ambitious young man. Because when he returns, and as we see in the ensuing chapters, in chapter 15 and 16, Absalom is going to lead the rebellion against David because Absalom wants the throne. He's already decided that David is not worthy of it and that he is, and he wants the throne. So what do we find in this 14th chapter? Why, why did I give you the, the, the warning that I did? Because what we see in this 14th chapter are the consequences of sin. We see the chaos that it brings to a life and to a family. So as we come to this chapter, I want you to note some things with me, and I hope you'll write them down. That will help you to retain it. Number one, Joab's request. There's a request here. What is the request? The request is this, bring back the banished. We can't continue this way. We can't continue this way. Maybe you find yourself in a relationship or a strain and situation in the family and, and you recognize we just can't continue like this. Holidays are uncomfortable. Phone conversations are uncomfortable. This is, this is really tearing our family apart. This is tearing potentially our church apart. This is tearing our world apart. We, we've got to deal with this. So Joab leaps into action and he, he makes a request here. 
bring back the banished. Now we see Joab has a plan. Look, if you would, in verse 1. Now Joab, the son of Zeruiah, perceived that the king's heart was toward Absalom. And Joab sent to Tekoa and fetched thence a wise woman and said unto her, I pray thee, feign thyself to be a mourner. Put on now mourning apparel, and anoint not thyself with oil, but be as a woman that hath had a long time mourned for the dead. And come to the king, and speak on this manner unto him. So Joab put the words in her mouth. Here's Joab's plan. Get this lady, this wise woman, who apparently had a reputation of being wise. She lived in Tekoa. She was perhaps a widow. But he said, I want you to do something for me. I want you to go to the king and pretend that you're in mourning. And tell him this story that you have two sons who got in a fight and one killed the other. And he put the words into her mouth. Uh, it seems like he went to great measures to, to, uh, to hide maybe his own intent. But as we found out, he, he was not successful in hiding that. He went to great measures to, to have this woman come in and tell this story in such a way that he knew it would push the buttons and pull the strings in David's heart. I imagine that Joab saw what was unfolding. He saw the conflict that was, that was, was potentially coming to a head between David and Absalom. And perhaps in his mind, this was an effort to head it off, to avoid it, and to bring some reconciliation. Well, that was the plan. And then we see the plea here. What is the request? Well, we begin reading in verse 4. And when the woman of Tekoa spake to the king, she fell on her face to the ground and did obeisance. She showed reverence to the king and said, Help, O king. And the king said unto her, What aileth thee? What's the trouble? What is it that you need? And she answered, I am indeed a widow woman, and my husband is dead. And thy handmaid had two sons, and they two strove together in the field, and there was none to part them, but one smote the other and slew him. So she says, I got two boys. They were, they're out in the field. They got into an argument. They began to fight, and one killed the other. Well, David could relate because he had a son who killed a son. So immediately she has his attention. Perhaps Joab had tried to get his attention and had failed but now this woman has his attention. And she speaks about some things that will push David's buttons. First of all, she speaks about the pressure to execute justice. Now David's the king, he's the sovereign. Everybody in the nation is looking to David to carry out justice. But what do they see? They see that justice has not been carried out concerning the matter of Absalom. And we can imagine that David was under considerable pressure to avenge the death of Amnon and bring Absalom to justice. So notice what she says in verse 7. And behold, the whole family is risen against thy handmaid. My whole family's come against me. And they said, here's what my family's saying. Deliver him that smote his brother that we may kill him for the life of his brother whom he slew. Now this was the plan of justice. God had a plan for justice. When someone committed a murder... That murder would be avenged. Justice would be carried out by the family. If someone had murdered someone uh, or, or actually had not murdered someone, but maybe was accused of murder or maybe it was an act of self-defense or maybe it was manslaughter, that offender could go or the accused could go 
to a city called a city of refuge. There were seven of them in the land of Israel and make his case to the elders of the city. If his case was proven to be true, if he truly was innocent, then he would be spared a vengeance by being granted safety in the city of refuge. But if he was found guilty, he would be turned over to the avengers of blood. This is what she's speaking about. She said, the family has come to bring justice on my son who killed his brother. They're demanding justice. Then she speaks not only of the pressure to execute justice, she speaks of the problem of a lost inheritance. Notice her words here in verse 7. This is the words of the family. And we will destroy the heir also, so they shall quench my coal which is left, a coal of fire, and shall not leave to my husband neither name nor remainder upon the earth. She said, I've got a coal. That's a symbolic term. She says, that warms me, that, that gives me light, that gives me hope. It's the fact that I have one son who is still alive. Yes, he's guilty, but he's my son, and I love him. That was the dilemma that David was in. Yes, Absalom was guilty. Yes, David was angry with him, but yet he longed for him. He loved him. And she said, they want to put him to death. And if that happens, then my husband's name will not remain upon the earth. There will be no inheritance. Well, what was David concerned about? Well, he's the king. The eldest, Amnon, was now dead. Who was in line to be the king? Well, it appeared to be Absalom, and Absalom wanted the position. It wasn't fully revealed yet to David that Absalom would betray him. But we understand that David's concern was for the continuation of the kingdom. And the Lord had made a promise to David that he would have a son who would sit upon the throne of Israel forever. So the problem of a lost inheritance is a problem that was on the mind of David as he's dealing with this situation. So in verse number eight, the Bible says, the king said to the woman, go to thine house and I will give charge concerning thee. And the woman of Tekoa said unto the king, my Lord, O king, the iniquity be on me and on my father's house and the king and his throne be guiltless. And the king said, whosoever saith aught unto thee, bring him to me and he shall not touch thee anymore. So what did David do? He, he tried to delay the decision. He said, Go to your house. Give me time to think about this. Let me gather the facts. I need to get the full story, and then I'll send you word. And she said, quite frankly, King, I can't wait that long. So, look, if, if I have left something out, if, I, if I'm misleading you, and it comes back later that there's some uh, bad judgment that you've shown, let that iniquity not be on you, but let it be on me. What is she doing here? She's pressing him to make an urgent decision. And then notice what the king does in verse 11 or in verse 10. He says, whosoever has said aught unto thee, bring him to me. He shall not touch thee anymore. The king's heart is being moved. Verse 11, she has one more request. In fact, she's going to have two more. She's really being bold here. Then said she, I pray thee, let the king remember the Lord thy God, that thou wouldest not suffer the revengers of blood. That's those, that group that I spoke about a moment ago. Do not suffer the revengers of blood to destroy anymore, lest they destroy my son. And he said, as the Lord liveth, there shall not one hair of thy son fall to the earth. You see, the king made a promise of protection. 
to this woman. He promised protection. Well, now what we're going to see happen is the woman is going to turn the tables because she just had David identify with her situation. And David's heart has gone out to her and David's heart has gone out to the son and David is willing to grant forgiveness to the son and allow the son to come back home to his mother and live without the fear that vengeance would be carried out upon him to restore him. This is the judgment of David. But now notice what happens in verse 12. Then the woman said, let thine handmaid, I pray thee, speak one word unto my lord the king. And he said, say on. And the woman said, wherefore then hast thou thought such a thing against the people of God? For the king doth speak this thing as one which is faulty, in that the king doth not fetch again or fetch home again his banished. You're willing to let my banished come home, but you're not willing to allow your banished to come home. That's what she's saying to him. Then she appeals to him in verse 14, for we must needs die and are as water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. There's nothing you can do to bring Amnon back, but there is something you can do to bring Absalom back. Look at the conclusion of verse 14. Neither doth God respect any person, yet doth he devise means that his banished be not expelled from him. What a great statement. In Genesis chapter number three, Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. And though God had told them, do not eat of the fruit of the garden or the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what did they do? They chose to sin against God. And immediately the Bible says their eyes were open. They knew that they were naked. They heard the voice of God coming to them in the cool of the day. And what did they do? They ran and they hid from God. They sinned against God. God promised that he would send a redeemer who would die for them and save them from their iniquity, who would overcome the effects of sin and death upon their lives. But what did God have to do? He had to banish them from the garden. He expelled them. He cast them out. They could not come into that garden. They offended God. They sinned against him. So what did God do? He sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to live a sinless life, to make the payment for my sin and yours. And when he arose from that grave, what did he do? He made the way. He devised the means for his banished to return. And now you and I can walk back into that garden and we can have fellowship and communion with our Lord. And we have the promise of heaven that we're going to be with him for all eternity. I want to say to you that God has made the means. He has devised the means for his banished that they not be expelled from him. What a glorious truth. And so she says to the king, if God has made a way for Absalom, why can't you. And by the way, if God has made a way for others, why can't you forgive them? Well, she sums it all up in verses 15 through 17. And this is essentially what she's saying. 
I knew you would see it this way. A lot of flattery, a lot of ornate terms. I knew you would see it this way, and he did. So number one, we see Joab's request, bring back the banished. Number two, we see David's response. And what we find is that David is willing to go part of the way, but he's not willing to go all of the way. Look in verse 18. We see here his response, and we see what he perceived. In verse 18, then the king answered and said unto the woman, Hide not from me, I pray thee, the thing that I shall ask thee. And the woman said, Let my lord the king now speak. And the king said, Is not the hand of Joab with thee in all this? In other words, is Joab behind this? I mean, this just, just couldn't be true, all these things you're telling me. It's just so uncanny. Sounds like Joab. And he said, as thy soul liveth, my lord the king, none can turn to the right hand or to the left from aught that my lord the king has spoken. For thy servant Joab, he bade me, and he put all these words in, in the mouth of thine handmaid, to fetch about this form of speech, hath thy servant Joab done this thing. In other words, Joab was hoping that you would see this and that you would acknowledge this and that things would change. That's what she's saying in verse 20. And my Lord is wise, speaking of the king, according to the wisdom of an angel of God, to know all things that are in the earth. See, David perceived this. He perceived that Joab was behind it. Then we see what David permitted. Look in verse 21. And the king said unto Joab, Behold now, I have done this thing. Go therefore, bring the young man Absalom again. So Joab allows him to come back. Or David, rather, allows him to come back. And he commands Joab to go get him. Verse 22, and Joab fell to the ground on his face and bowed himself and thanked the king. And Joab said, today thy servant knoweth that I have found grace in thy sight, my lord, O king, in that the king hath fulfilled the request of his servant. So we see what David permitted. He permitted him to return. But then we see a sad thing that plagues so many of us. We see what David prohibited. So Joab arose and went to Geshur and brought Absalom to Jerusalem. And the king said, let him turn to his own house and let him not see my face. So Absalom returned to his own house and saw not the king's face. You see, if we cannot see the king's face, that means we do not have the king's favor. It means that we do not enjoy the king's fellowship if we cannot see the king's face. I'm glad that when God brought us back, he didn't bring us back and keep us at a distance. He brought us in close. He loves us. He accepts us. He receives us as sons. He deals with us according to our sins. But he has made us just and righteous. And we have access into the holy of holies through the blood of Jesus Christ. We can come to him at any time. Our sin he has cast behind his back. He has removed it as far as the east is from the west. He's buried it in the sea of his forgetfulness. He's not holding a grudge against us. But David said, I'll tell you what, you can bring him home, but I don't want to see him. That's the attitude sometimes that we develop, isn't it? Will you forgive me? Yes, I'll forgive you, but not really. Don't come around my house. 
Oh, there he is in the grocery aisle. I'll go the other way. I'll avoid him. That was his response. You see, David is unwilling to forgive. Are you unwilling to forgive? May God help us. Lastly, we see Absalom's return. In, Absal- in David's response, we saw that he was unwilling to forgive. In Absalom's return, we see that he was unwilling to repent. You see, the problem is we couldn't get David and Absalom together. That was Joab's problem because neither one of them would humble themselves. Pride was the problem, right? David said, I'm not going to forgive him for what he did. Absalom said, I didn't do anything wrong. You know people who think that way. In fact, the truth is you think that way at times, don't you? I think that way at times. And because of our pride, we're, we're unwilling to humble ourselves. Well, notice Absalom's return. He received the praise of the people. Look in verse 25. But in all Israel, there was none to be so much praised as Absalom for his beauty. That's the world we live in. Beautiful people. Beauty is praise. Beauty is a thing to be obtained, we think. That's the, that's the snare of this world. From the sole of his foot, even to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. And when he polled his head, for it was at every year's end that he polled it because the hair was heavy on him. Therefore, he polled it. He weighed the hair of his head at 200 shekels after the king's weight. And unto Absalom there were born three sons and one daughter whose name was Tamar. He named that girl after his sister. She was a woman of a fair countenance. She was a beautiful girl. I mean, here's this handsome fella with a head full of hair that he cut once a year and he weighed it. It was long, it was thick, it was beautiful to be seen. And he took a lot of pride in it and he received the praise of the people. But he remained proud and unrepentant. Look in verse 28. So Absalom dwelt two full years in Jerusalem and he saw not the king's face. My dad won't have me in. He, he, won't, he, won't, he, won't, he, won't, he won't restore me. He won't receive me. I got to do something, verse 29. Therefore Absalom sent for Joab to have sent him to the king. But Joab, he would not come to him. And when he sent again the second time, he would not come. Joab was too busy or maybe Joab just didn't want to deal with him. Maybe Joab at this point has figured Absalom out. And says, I'm not going to fool with that guy. Verse 30. Therefore he said unto his servants, See, Joab's field is near mine, and he hath barley there. Go and set it on fire. And Absalom's servants set the field on fire. Then Joab arose and came to Absalom unto his house and said unto him, Wherefore have thy servants set my field on fire? And Absalom answered Joab, Behold, I sent unto thee, saying, Come hither, that I may send thee to the king. To say, wherefore am I come from Geshur? It had been good for me to have been there still. Now, therefore, let me see the king's face. And if there be any iniquity in me, let him kill me. Absalom thinks he deserves to be restored. But he's not willing to repent. And so he's aggravated and he feels offended. Have you ever been there? You're aggravated with somebody. 
They've offended you. And they don't seem to realize it. So what do you do? You want to get their attention. A harsh word, a slammed door, a shaking fist, an evil look, the silent treatment. What are you doing? You're setting their barley field on fire. You're showing your immaturity. You're showing your pride. You want attention. And that's what Absalom did. And so in verse 33, the Bible said, so Joab came to the king and told him, he said, David, we got to do something about this guy. So when he, that's David, called for Absalom, he, Absalom, came to the king and bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king, and the king kissed Absalom. And thus the chapter ends. It ends with the appearance, or the appearance rather, of reconciliation. But it's rather cold, isn't it? It, it, It's quick. He came in, he bowed before the king. He did what he thought he had to do. He bowed reverently without a repentant heart and with no warmth, no genuineness of submission to his father. And his father, because people were there, granted him the king's kiss, but it was lip service. Oh, yes, I forgive you. But no, he hadn't. You've been in those conversations before, haven't you? Will you forgive me? I'm sorry. Or you should forgive me. Maybe that's the way it goes. You know you should forgive me. The words I'm sorry don't come. The words I was wrong don't come. You need to forgive me. Okay, I do. But you know in your heart. They didn't. That's what happened here. Absalom's return. Now the story gets worse from here. And we'll pick that up next time. But I think there are some lessons. And and this is what I want to try to do. Draw all this together. I think there are some lessons we learned from this chapter. And I think they're important to consider. So let me give them to you quickly. Number one, remember that the consequences of sin are devastating. The consequences of sin are devastating. What happened? There is so much chaos and so much mess in David's family, there doesn't seem to be a path of restoration. It's just a mess. Number two, Problems unaddressed create greater problems. When you just decide that you don't want to deal with something, when you don't want to deal with that argument that you had or the words that you said or the action that you took or the action that they took or the words that they said, when you just want to pretend it didn't happen and just act as if it should just go away, understand it will lead to greater problems. You see, David didn't deal with Amnon, so Absalom killed him. David didn't deal with Absalom. And what's that going to lead to? Absalom's rebellion and eventually Absalom's death. Problems unaddressed create greater problems. Number three, pride is the root problem that produces 
an unforgiving spirit, and an unrepentant heart. Pride is the root problem that produces an unforgiving spirit and an unrepentant heart. You see, pride leads us to justify or excuse our attitudes and actions. Pride refuses to repent. Pride withholds forgiveness because they need to suffer in our thinking. Pride produces an outward appearance of forgiveness without a heart that says, I love you and forgive you. You see, when, when, when Amnon came in and David kissed him, you don't, you don't read about any tears. You, you don't read of any comment that says, I'm sorry, I was wrong. You don't read of a loving embrace. It's all missing. It was cold. It was superficial. There was no substance to it. Pride causes us to forget that our sins have been forgiven. David wouldn't forgive Absalom, but David had done worse than Absalom and been forgiven. Pride deceives us into thinking that we do not have to forgive one another. But the Bible tells us that we're to be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake had forgiven you. If you want to know what characteristic most identifies you with Jesus, well, forgiveness has got to be at the top. What's another lesson we learn? The only answer for our sin is Jesus. We got to have a king in Israel. Let's get Saul. Oh, that wasn't the answer. God said, well, I'll choose one after my own heart, David. And he looked like the answer, didn't he? He looked like the answer. But he wasn't. No. Because of his sin, look what he did. And now look at the mess he's caused. The concern that Joab has for the kingdom. You see, if we think for one minute that the next president, whoever it may be, is going to solve our problems, we're wrong. I don't care what a party affiliation or what color he associates with red or blue. It doesn't matter. There's only one who can fix our problem, and that's Jesus. Only one. Jesus. Joab couldn't provide the solution. By the way, Absalom thought he was the solution. He would have been a miserable ruler. Jesus overcame our sin with his sinless life. He overcame our death with his glorious resurrection. He forgives us of our sin, and he restores it if we will come to him. So what should we do? Well, we should come to Jesus. And we should confess our sin. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We should receive him as our savior. We should make him our king. Because the kings of this world bring us no hope. We should pray as believers for wisdom and opportunity to be reconciled to all those who have ought against us or who have sinned against us. We must seek the forgiveness of those we have wronged and we should extend forgiveness to those who have wronged us. Bring back the banished. Thank you for listening. 
We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.